All right, open your Bible to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 5. And we're going through the book of Genesis, and we're looking at the gospel in Genesis. So the gospel didn't begin in Matthew 1.1. The gospel is throughout the scripture. The gospel began with, in the beginning, God created. And so we're going to go through uh, the book of Genesis. We may skip over some sections. Um, We're not going to do an in-depth verse by verse. But here we are in Genesis chapter 5. And last week, we talked about bearing the image of God. And today, we're going to talk about names. So our question next week, last week, was whose image do you bear? Our question this week is what is in a name? What's in a name? So our text is going to be Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 4. And I'm going to read to you the the rest of the chapter. Matthew, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 5, verses 4 through 32. Actually, let me just read the whole chapter to you. Why skip the first four verses, right? Here we go. Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam in the day that God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and and named him Seth. Now that's where we were last week. That was our text. Now verse 4 continues, And he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years, and and he had sons and daughters. Let me just stop there for a moment. When you read genealogies in the Bible, those genealogies are not exhaustive. So you notice that it says Adam begat Seth here in chapter 5, but we know from chapter 4 in Genesis that Cain and Abel were born to Adam and Eve. But we also know that Cain killed Abel and Cain was banished. And so when we... the Bible gives us the genealogy of Adam. It doesn't mention here Cain and Abel. It says when Adam was 130 years old, he had a son born to him, and he named him Seth. And then it says Adam lived to be 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. So Cain, Abel, and Seth were not the only children Adam and Eve had. They had many, many other children So genealogies in the Bible are not meant to be exhaustive records of people's births. That's an important thing to to understand because if you think that they are, you're going to get real confused. So after he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. So After Adam had Seth, he lived another 800 years. He was 130 when he had Seth, so his days numbered 930 years. How would you like to live to be 930 years old? Under present conditions. No, you wouldn't. You might think you would, but you really wouldn't. So I don't know what these people had going on. The earth was obviously different. There was a difference to be able to live 930, I mean, at 130, he had his third recorded child. He he probably had more than that. 
you know, he, he was going strong at 130, right? So all the days of Ad, Ad, that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Verse 6, Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh, and he begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahalalal. And he begot Mahalalal. Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. And so all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalalal lived 65 years and begot Jared, not the jeweler, okay? And after he begot Jared, Mahalalal lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. You know what Mahalalal said when Jared was born? No, never mind. I'm not even going to do it. Don't you know the Jared jingle? It's got to be Jared. (laughs) So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. And after he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, we could do a whole message on that, but our message is not about that. But that's a really kind of an interesting thing. Maybe one day we'll come back to that. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Methuselah is the the oldest recorded human. Lamech lived 182 years and had, and had a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, what is in a name? So here's the gospel application that we're going to talk about today. So remember, the Bible was given to us, recorded for us, preserved for us, to reveal to us something very specific. And that specific thing that the Bible was, was recorded for us and preserved for us and passed down to us was so that Christ could be made known, so that Christ could be seen, so that Christ could be heard, so that Christ could be known 
throughout the pages of Scripture. So this is not just a genealogy. It certainly is not an exhaustive genealogy. It's a very concise genealogy that carries with it a very distinct purpose. So here's the gospel application. God reveals his plan and his purpose throughout the scripture, even in the smallest details. This is God bringing all things together in Christ, as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Paul writes, "...having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him." So all things, even the most mundane, the, the worldly, the spiritual, the, the great and the small, everything, all things are part of God's glorious plan. The bitter, the sweet, the good, the bad, the ugly. There is not anything that we experience. There is not anything that touches our life, that's part of our life, that's a part of this created order that is not part of God's plan and purpose. There's nothing of our life that is not working within and toward God's glorious and eternal sovereign plan as revealed to us in Christ. If we don't understand these things in Christ, if we don't understand the context of the world we live in, if we don't understand it in the context of Christ, the world will just simply seem like a very cruel and unforgiving place. The world will seem like something that was either a, a cosmic accident or some cruel plan of some cruel force or creator who just created everything and tossed it out there to see what would happen. And I promise you, that is not what the world is. That is not what the created order is. That is not what anything even remotely is. Everything, everything down to the smallest detail is not separated from, is not disconnected from God's eternal, sovereign plan and glory. And so, what of this genealogy? We're going to look at the genealogy of Adam, and we're going to look at it in terms of how it reveals to us the working of God's grace in the midst of sinful men. Adam. Let's start with the names of this genealogy. There's Adam, there's Seth, there's Enosh, there's Canaan, there's Mahalalel, there's Jared, there's Enoch, there's Methuselah, there's Lamech, and then there's Noah. And it brings us to Noah, and when we get to Noah, then we start a whole nother story. So we're going to look at this genealogy from Adam to Noah. And we're going to ask the question, what, what is in a name? What is this revealing to us? So let's look at what these names Revealed to us, Adam means man. God created 
man. Seth. Look what, look what it says. Go back up to chapter 4. And look at verse 25. Genesis 4, 25. It says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. And here's what Eve said, For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. Seth means to put or to place. The Bible gives us the meaning, God appointed another seed. Why is that significant? Think about Genesis 3.15. What happened in Genesis 3.15? It was the prophecy, the proclamation of a coming seed. Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed. God is speaking to the serpent, and he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between your seed, serpent, and the seed of the woman. So from that time, Satan knew there was a seed coming, a promised seed to come who would crush his head. And Cain and Abel are born. These twins are born to Adam and Eve. And it ends up that Cain kills Abel. And and Cain is then banished. And when Adam and Eve have Seth, they have another son, Here's what's said, For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel. We go to Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter 12. And we see talk of a seed again. Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your seed I will give this land. If your Bible says descendants, it can be translated descendants, but that word literally is seed. And we understand what that word means when we come to, let me finish this scripture, then we'll go there. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your seed I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. To your seed I will give this land. If you go over to Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible interprets for us, who this seed is, the seed of Genesis 3.15, the seed of Genesis 12.7, the seed of Genesis 13.15, we see who this seed is. The Bible tells us who this seed is. Galatians 3.16, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed. Paul quotes Genesis 12, 7. And to your seed, who is Christ. Seth means God appointed another seed. Adam, or Seth, was never the appointed seed. Christ is the promised seed of Genesis 3.15, and of Genesis 12.7, and of Genesis 3. 13.15, he is the appointed seed that would come through sinful man. He came through Adam. He came through Seth. He came through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Judah, and so on. You can go to Matthew chapter 1, and you can go to Luke chapter 3 and see the genealogies of Jesus. Just for your information, if you read and study those very closely, you're going to see that there's a difference in the genealogy in Matthew and a difference 
with the genealogy in Luke. And that is because Matthew traces that genealogy through Joseph. And Luke traces the genealogy through Mary. One according to law. One according to the rightful lineage. So you have a paternal genealogy and a maternal genealogy. And in Luke's genealogy, when it says, Joseph, the son of Heli, Joseph, who was supposed to be the father of Jesus, you read that in Luke's gospel, he puts that in parentheses, who was supposed to be the father of Jesus, because Joseph was not the father of Jesus. God was the father of Jesus. But Joseph was the earthly vessel that was chosen to raise him up as his own. And it says that Heli was the father of Joseph. Well, Heli wasn't the father of Joseph. Jacob was. Heli was Mary's father. He was Joseph's son-in-law. And if you know anything about Jewish genealogies, that, that's exactly why Heli was. It's not a mistake. It, it's the way it had to be. It was the legal way to write that genealogy. I digress. So just, just if you study those out, and you'll find this genealogy in Luke's, because Luke takes it all the way back to Adam. Matthew only takes it back to Abraham. And in Luke's genealogy that traces the lineage of Jesus through Mary, he lists the same genealogy that we find here in, in Genesis chapter 5. So Adam means man. Seth means God appointed another scene, seed. And then born to Seth was Enosh. Enosh means a mortal. It means mortal. It's the same word. It, it can be man, but it's, it's a different word. But it means a mortal man. Then was born Canaan. Canaan means fixed. As in a fixed dwelling. A dwelling place. Ephesians chapter 2. Two, go to Ephesians chapter 2. Enish means a fixed dwelling. What does Paul write in his letter to the Ephesians concerning the church, concerning the people of God? Let's begin in verse 19, Ephesians 2.19. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. What does a cornerstone speak of? How many of you ever gone camping? When you put your tent up, do you put a cornerstone down for your tent? No, you don't. Put a tent peg down. When you build a building that's permanent, that's fixed, guess what you put down? You put down a cornerstone. In whom the whole building being fixed together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit, while you're there in Ephesians, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. 
1 Peter 2.5, Peter writes, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He calls us living or lively stones being built up into a house. Canaan means a fixed dwelling. Christ is our dwelling. We abide in Him, and He abides in us. 2 Corinthians, let me read one more scripture to you. 2 Corinthians, I love this scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There's so much hope in the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, that's our body, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Talk about a fixed dwelling. Our dwelling is eternal. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. We have a home eternal, a fixed dwelling. Christ is our dwelling. We abide in Him and He abides in us. Mahalalal means God be praised. God be praised. Philippians 1, 11. Philippians 1, 11. Do your Bible drill today. Philippians 1.11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Hebrews 13.15. Hebrews 13.15. Therefore by Him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name, the sacrifice of praise to God. Mahalalel means God, be praised. Jared means a descent or to descend. He descended. Enoch means dedicated or initiated or trained up. He was dedicated. Methuselah means a man, man of a dart or man of of a spear. It also means a sword. It also figuratively means a shoot or a branch, as in from a tree or a root. He is the shoot of the Lord. Isaiah 11.1. Let's read Isaiah 11.1. Isaiah 11.1 says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. There shall come forth a branch, a shoot, a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Hebrews, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 33. Jeremiah 33.15. Jeremiah 33.15 The prophet writes these words. 
In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Hebrews 4.12 The writer of Hebrews tells us that God's word... For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Christ is the branch. He is the sword. He has broken through and pierced the darkness. He is the shoot of the Lord, the branch He is the spear that pierces in the sword that divides. Lamech means he was made low. It means poor or pauper. This is an interesting name. It's a very ancient name. And in some other languages, for instance, in Arabic and some other Semitic languages, it can mean priest, it can mean conqueror. It can mean uh, vigorous youth. It can mean powerful. All of those could describe Jesus. It also means a striker down because Lamech struck down a man. But the the best understanding of this name is to mean poor or to be made low. Christ was made low. He was struck down. Philippians 2, go there. Verse 5 is an exhortation to us as believers. Philippians 2, 5. Paul writes these words to the church. And he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant or the form of a slave and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death, the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him And given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and of those in heaven, and of those on the earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul writing of Christ. Verse 9, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you, through His poverty, might become rich. Please understand, that's not a formula for material success and wealth for you. It is a declaration of a truth of who Christ is and what 
Christ did. That in the poverty of our sinfulness, we were without hope. Eternally and desperately separated from God. And the Lord of glory descended from glory and shed that glory of heaven and took on human flesh and humbled himself to the point of death, even the death of the cross, which was the most despised and shameful death. He who hangs on a tree is cursed, the scripture said. Jesus became a curse for us. That we could be delivered from the poverty of sin and death. And translated from darkness into light. He was made low and he was struck down for us. But if you read in Genesis and you read about Lamech, unlike Lamech, in his pride, Christ, in his humility, allowed himself to be struck down. And in doing so, he struck down all of his enemies. And in doing so, he struck down all of your enemies. Where is that realized? That is realized in Christ. In Christ, not only has he struck down all of his enemies, he has struck down all of your enemies. He made himself low and allowed himself to be struck down so that you could become rich and you could overcome and conquer all of your enemies. Not through worldly wealth and material possessions and success and building a name for yourself, but in Christ and in Christ alone. Then we come to Noah. And it says, let me read from verse 30. Verse 29. Lamech has this son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. Go to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And listen to the words of Jesus as he calls unto those who have ears to hear. Listen to Jesus with all of the love and all of the grace and all of the mercy and all of the compassion that comes through him. And he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Go to Hebrews chapter 4 one more time. Beginning in verse 1, the writer of Hebrews pins these words, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, 
Let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. The gospel is being preached to you right now. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. For he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place of the servant of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again he dis- designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, they would have not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Noah was born and he was named Noah, which meant this is the one who will comfort us concerning our work, who will deliver us from the toil that the ground and the curse has brought upon us. Christ is our rest. In Him we cease from our work and we abide in His work. We rest in His work. So in this short genealogy, we have the message of the gospel presented to us in very clear terms. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. God created man. God appointed another seed, a mortal man, a fixed dwelling. God be praised. He descended. He was dedicated and trained up for us. He is the shoot of the Lord, the branch, the spear that pierces the darkness, the sword that has come to strike down his enemies. He was made low and he struck down his enemies. He is our rest. Christ is our rest. Noah. Think about Noah for a moment. This man who delivered us from our toil and from our work. Noah is a type of Christ. And with Noah came an end and a beginning. With Noah came the judgment and the end of one world that brought the beginning of a new world. With Christ comes an end and a beginning. In Christ came the end of one man and the beginning of a new man. In Christ came the end of one creation and the beginning of a new creation. We're not waiting for that new creation. That new creation is already here. If any man, if anyone 
be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you are in Christ, you are and you are in a new creation. Don't pay attention. Remember the scene from the Wizard of Oz when the curtain gets pulled back by Toto and, and there's the wizard pulling the, and he goes, the voice on the screen, don't pay attention to that man behind the curtain. Listen, don't pay attention to the fallenness of the world around you. The world around you does not define, it does not determine the new creation. The kingdom of heaven dwells within you. If the king of the kingdom, who is Christ, dwells within you, you are a new creation. You have already overcome the old. You have already overcome the curse. You are, and you are in a new creation if you are in Christ. Now let's look at the last three names here, verse 32. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The only way we can understand this is that these guys were, twin, were, were triplets. And so here is Shem, Ham, and Japheth. It doesn't matter whether they were or were, were not. But let's think about these. What meaning does these names, do these names hold? So Noah was a type of Christ. The names of Noah's sons point us to something. They point us to the great commission recorded for us. Let's go there, Matthew chapter 28. Let's read the great commission together. Matthew chapter 28. Let's begin reading in verse 17. Matthew 28, 17. Jesus has been crucified, buried, and resurrected. He's come back now to his disciples. He's appeared to them. He is getting ready to ascend into heaven. And he charges his followers. He commissions them. Look at verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Wow, that's an important statement right there. Don't think that every Sunday as people come to worship the Lord, that there are not doubters among the worshipers. It was true in Jesus' day. It was true with Jesus standing in their midst. It will be true today. It will be true forever. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Let me read one other scripture to you before we talk about these three names. Let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is writing to the seven churches. This is his letter. This is his letter to the church at Laodicea. Let's just read in verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, 
These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that they are neither cold nor hot. I would wish, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Do you see, they thought they had it all, but Jesus said, it appears as though you have it all, but you really have nothing. Oftentimes, when we're in our darkest hour, we seem to think we've lost everything, but if we are in Christ, with Christ, in Christ, it doesn't matter that on the outside it may appear as though we are naked, poor, and blind. It could be that we have attained and we possess the greatest riches that we could possibly possess, and that is Christ himself. This church judged their riches and their success by their outward, external condition. Jesus takes his sword and his word and cuts to the very heart of the matter and exposes them for what they truly are. He said, you're poor, blind, and you're naked, and you are in desperate need to gain what you do not have and what you cannot gain yourself. And he says, I want you to be hot. You're lukewarm. I would rather you be hot or cold. Because if you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Now, there, I, 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 I went to that scripture for a reason. So let's look at these names, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem means appellation. Do you know, and I'm not talking about mountains in the eastern part of the United States, okay? Do you know what an appellation is? An appellation is is an identifying name or characteristic. It carries with that the implication of honor, authority, and character. An appellation is an identifying name or title. What is your appellation? What is your identifying name or title? When you confess faith in Christ, what do people call you? What do you call yourself? Christian. What does that name imply? It implies Christ. So the name Shem meant an identifying name or title. It carried with it honor, authority, and character. Christ or Christian, is our appellation that honors him as it reflects his authority and character. Ham means hot. Pretty simple. Jesus commands us to be hot or cold, but not lukewarm. The Great Commission is never fulfilled by the cold or the lukewarm among us. We need to be hot when it comes to our faith and the command of Christ to go and to make disciples. The name Japheth means expansion. It means to open and to make roomy. 
when Christ commissioned his church to go, therefore, and make disciples, what is he commissioning us to do? He is commissioning, commissioning us to go and expand his kingdom, to open up and make room to cause his kingdom to spread from where? From Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utter ends of the earth. As the Great Commission is fulfilled, we will see the expansion of the kingdom of God in all of those who have their hearts and minds opened and made roomy by the power of the gospel. What opens your heart? It is the gospel. That is the power of God that can open and unlock your heart and make room for the truth and the reality of Christ in you, the hope of glory. We want the gospel to touch every corner of the earth. But I'm going to tell you something. The more pressing question among us right now is not whether the gospel has touched every corner of the earth, but has the gospel touched every corner of your heart? Jesus said the kingdom comes without observation for the kingdom of heaven is within you. In you right now, how has the kingdom expanded? How has the kingdom been pushed open and made room in your heart for these truths that we talk about, that we preach about, that we teach about, that you read about? Has the gospel found room in your heart? Is Christ, the seed, incorruptible? Has it been planted in the good soil of your heart? And what measure of Christ is now expanding and increasing and known through your heart and in your heart? When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when it seems like all is lost and hopeless, and there seems to be nothing but darkness around you, is there something in your heart that has pushed open and made room for hope in spite of the darkness? Is there a truth in your heart that says it seems dark all around, but Christ has conquered death? Christ lay in a dark tomb for three days, but He arose in glorious light, in glorious life, in glorious victory. That is the same Christ that dwells in me. That is the same Spirit that dwells in me. It will strengthen me. Does it? See, until the kingdom expands throughout your heart until the kingdom is pushed open and makes room in your heart to dispel your fear, your doubts that will train your eyes to, to be off of your circumstances and back onto Jesus who is the author and the finisher of your faith. That's what God wants to do. That's what the expansion of his kingdom in your heart will do. It will transcend those things that are real. I'm not denying they're not real. 
they're real. Death is real. Loss is real. Destruction is real. But you know what is more real than death and loss and destruction? Jesus is more real. Jesus is more powerful. Jesus has overcome all. Does he dwell in you, Christian? If he dwells in you, his kingdom is in you. It has expanded. Let it open and let it make room. Let it push out the darkness. Let it push out the fear. Let it push out the doubt and the hopelessness. Shem, Ham, and Japheth are a type of the church. The names of Noah's son point us to the church and its commission. We see God's grace working in and through sinful men to accomplish His will according to His good pleasure. Genesis 9.1, God sent Noah and his sons out and, and commanded them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and Matthew 28, 19 and 20, we see Jesus send his church out, telling them to go into all the earth to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth with the very image of Christ. Note in verse 17, the Bible records that among those who worshipped him were those who doubted. The command of Jesus to go therefore and make disciples was to all. It was to those who worshipped in faith. It was to those who worshipped in doubt. And so it is today. You've come here today and you have worshipped. Have you worshipped in faith or have you worshipped in doubt? Which one are you? Not all will believe. Some will always doubt. The question is, do you believe or do you doubt? There is something in a name. If you bear the name Christian, you bear the name of Christ. And when we bear His name, we are given authority to go. We are commanded to make disciples of the nations, beginning where we are as we trust Him to open and to make room for the expansion of His kingdom through the power of the gospel. All authority is given to Christ. His is the identifying name and authority in which we go. He said, go therefore, be hot, not lukewarm, not cold. Go therefore in Christ's power and authority manifesting his character. Make disciples of all the nations he commands. Go in the expansion of his kingdom, trusting him to make room and to open hearts. Not just those out there, but your very own. So here's my challenge to you this morning. Ask yourself this question. Do I name the name of Jesus? Do I count myself his disciple? Am I hot? Am I cold? Or am I lukewarm? How am I representing his name? Now I want you to understand that Christ knows each of our hearts. There's not anything hidden. We, we heard this today in our study on Revelation. There's nothing hidden. You can hide things from all kinds of people. You can even hide things from yourself. But you cannot hide anything from God. 
He knows our hearts. Have you from a heart of faith confessed the name of Jesus as your only Savior? If you have not, let me encourage you to cry out to Him that He would grant you repentance of your sin and unbelief. That you would trust in His righteousness from your heart and confess His salvation with your mouth. That you would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save you and to give you the gift of eternal life. Knowing that His grace is all sufficient. It's not dependent upon your ability. It's not dependent upon your power to work. It's dependent upon His grace and His finished work. Christ knows our heart. Christ knows our works. We are not saved by works. Listen to me, church. Make this very clear in your mind and in your heart. We are not saved by works. We are saved for works. How would Christ describe your works? Hot, cold, or lukewarm? Commit your works and your entire being to the Lord. If you have been cold or lukewarm, then I would encourage you to repent. If you have been hot in your faith and in your passion for the Lord, then I would encourage you to thank Him for His grace that has empowered you to walk in such a worthy manner. Because it certainly is not because we're all of that. Hot, cold, or lukewarm, humble yourself before Him and acknowledge that apart from Him, you can do nothing. Trust in His grace in all things, knowing that to Him belongs all glory. Do you hear me? To Him belongs all glory. If you feel like you've got it down right now and things are really great and you're just walking on cloud nine, listen to Him be all the glory. Humble yourself and thank Him that He has given you the grace to be in that place. If you're at your lowest low and you don't know where you're going to go from here, humble yourself before Him and thank Him that He knows the way out of the darkness. Thank Him that He knows how to lead you through the valley of shadow and that He has prepared for you a place of higher ground. And though you might not know how you're going to get there, He knows exactly how He will lead you there. And make no mistake about it, He is leading you there. Let's pray. Can we all stand? Father, we stand before You this day with our lives and our very hearts open and exposed to your discerning eye. We can hide nothing from you, Lord. We thank you for your unconditional love. We thank you for the fresh mercy that you give to us every day. And we thank you for your unending grace that works in our lives. We thank you for the blood of Christ that allows us to come into your very presence. We thank you that by your grace we come boldly and we ask you, Lord, Lord, we're asking you right now that you would change us, that you would transform us, that you would 
conform us to the very image of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, look into our hearts this day. Do a work in us by your powerful Holy Spirit. Make us disciples that bear your name and bear your image to your glory. Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name, and we ask them for the glory of the Father. And all God's people said, Amen.